Good morning, church. Wow, are you guys falling asleep on me already? Good morning. There we go, there we go. It's, I just want to make sure everyone's still with me here. Um, and I know normally I, I like to introduce uh, the sermon with some kind of story or, or uh, something to kind of get everybody on track together. But I figure after such a, uh, a lighthearted scripture that we just read, I think everyone's just kind of feeling, all right, let's jump into this. But, but seriously, we're getting into a subject that doesn't make people uncomfortable at all. We're talking about what scripture says about marriage, about husbands and wives. Uh, and this is important to deal with because the marriage, uh, the union of a husband and wife is the structure that God has given for the family unit. It's what God has given uh, to, to increase uh, and multiply and be, be fruitful, but also to preserve family life and to continue His covenant promises. But I do recognize this is an extremely sensitive subject. Even culturally, in the world that we live in, it's awkward even to talk about how God uh, has designed families to be between a husband and a wife with the cultural uh, discussion and debate and argument over uh, same-sex marriage and LBGT rights and all these things. And um, I'm not going to pretend that I remember every uh, acronym or or every uh, initial in that lineup but it becomes awkward to even engage in this conversation culturally because Scripture does have some very certain things to say. And that can be taken very uh, old-fashioned, if you will, but we believe in what it says. But also, there are some people that within their family, maybe even your marriage yourself, uh, there's been uh, the tension between a husband and wife. There there are many who have struggled uh, through loss and divorce I myself am a child of a divorced family, and so I've seen firsthand just the, the chaos and destruction that divorce brings into a family unit. But also personally, uh, this month even, my wife Amy and I are going to be celebrating our nine-year anniversary, and I read through this passage and realize I'm not that good at this. I struggle with this. I don't stand up here as a pastor saying, I have all the answers figured out and you better listen to what I have to say. I stand up here as a broken man and a husband saying, I struggle with this myself, but I'm going to proclaim what the Scripture says. And this is the difficulty of preaching exegetically is that we're working our way through the book of Ephesians. We started in chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going all the way through the book And Scripture gets into some difficult and sensitive areas. And sometimes it gets into areas that you might not want to deal with. But on the positive side, that's the joy of preaching exegetically. Because Scripture doesn't avoid the difficult areas. And it refuses to let us collectively turn a blind eye to the areas that are dangerous for our very souls and for our very families. And so preaching exegetically, the Scriptures do not let us turn away from the things that we need 
to address. And so we look at this passage in Ephesians 5, and it's not just addressed to uh, priests and clergy. It's not just addressed to elders and deacons and leaders and shepherds of the church. But Paul is saying that every Christian's marriage should be an example of God's love to the church. Every believer, every Christian. That's a pretty low standard, right? That your marriage should reflect God's love for the church and the church's devotion to God. Usually we're used to hearing about how the relationship between God and the church is a reflection of marriage. But I'm a firm believer that in this passage that Paul is actually teaching that marriage is given so we can better understand God's love for the church. Not the other way around. Not that marriage is the end-all, be-all, but that marriage is a gift so we can see God's compassion and love for the people that he is redeeming and calling his own. And we see this in this passage in three ways. First, in verses 22 through 24, as the wife submits, and I'm, I did use that word, yes, and I'll get into that, but as the wife submits like the church. Secondly, in verses 25 through 30, as the husband loves like Christ. And lastly, in verses 31 through 33, as the church unites with Christ. Before we go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come together this morning uh, thankful and rejoicing. Uh, rejoicing in the families that you have brought together here. Rejoicing in, in Lane's baptism. Rejoicing uh, in just the gift of another day to come together in awe and say thank you for this gift. But Father, we confess that we are far too easily distracted. And so we pray that you would remove those distractions, that your spirit would be present with us, that you would speak through a broken, struggling man like myself to proclaim your gospel and your kingdom truth. Let us see your love today. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Now, first off, I do want to address a couple issues. First, uh, is that I recognize that not everyone in this room right now is married. There are children here, and that would be extremely awkward. But there, there, we, we do have single people that either are members of the church or visit. We do have people that are here that are not married. And the easy thing to do would be to check out and be like, well, this is just talking about husbands and wives. This doesn't concern me. I just don't need to pay attention. I'm going to sit here and, you know, play Sudoku on my phone. Or I, I don't know what your, what your distraction is. But the temptation would be to check out and feel that this does not address you. But I would challenge that. Don't check out. Because as Paul tells Timothy, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All of Scripture is good for the Christian training and growth and knowledge. And so even in this passage, 
concerning marriage, it is still a helpful reminder of God's love for you as the church is the bride of Christ. And so please, don't check out this morning. But secondly, to married people, to couples. Reading through this passage, at least on a a surface level, just reading through it feels like a lot of pressure. Almost a sense of legalism of, I need to step up my game and I need to do this or else I am a bad Christian. And it's not a legalism, but it's a challenge for yourself and for your growth. And it's what Scripture has to say about how, as married couples, how we interact with our spouse. And so track with me this morning. I challenge you and ask you to please follow along with us. But Paul begins addressing the marriage relationship by speaking to wives. And he's making the comparison that the wife submits like the church. And I know that that is an uh, uncomfortable word for some to say submit, but first let me tell you what the word submit does not mean. Because I'm pretty sure that at some point everyone in here has heard that phrase misused and abused to say wife submit. And I jokingly say that to my wife. I don't actually mean that like woman submit. That's not what this passage is saying. Do what I say or else. And a lot of times I get the response, Thomas, like I get that. But it is not saying, woman, do what I say. That is not what Paul is saying here. It is not a loss of personality or a loss of will or self-worth underneath the husband's control. That is not what this is saying. Because that is an abuse of Scripture. And if you have been the recipient of that kind of mishandling, I sincerely apologize because that is not what the Scripture is saying to women, to wives, and that is not what Scripture is saying about the Gospel. But what it does say, looking in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, how? Well, he follows that up. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to the husband. The way that Paul, or not just Paul, the way that God has designed families and the church, is that there is a structure. That it's not just everyone's on on equal ground and it's just a free-for-all, figure it out as you go, but that there is a willingness and a submission to the, the authority that God has placed over. That as the church submits to the authority of Christ, that Paul is inviting the wife to submit to the husband. And he uses this body analogy that Christ is the head of the church. He uses it in, in various places. Uh, also, you see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that he's saying the, the foot cannot say that, well, I'm not a hand, so I'm just not going to do my job. And the ear cannot say, well, I'm not an eye, so I'm just not going to do my job. But that 
the body is designed so that every part has significance and worth and that it, uh, in the, within the marriage relationship, the wife does not lose her importance or her significance, but that she's part of this family unit and yet is asked and challenged to willingly submit herself to the headship and authority of her husband. And submission in that regard is not that she is to regard herself as less than. Wives, you are not to to look at your husband and say, well, I'm just not as good as my husband. But the wife has value and worth. But she is asked to follow the instruction and the leadership of the husband that she has been given. As Christ is head of the church, this is God's design. The husband is to be the head of the marriage. A few months ago, we worked through the, the book of James. And we were looking at what James had to say about Christian living and applying the gospel to our daily life and our struggles in the faith. And in James chapter 4, verses 4-7, through seven, James wrote, You adulterous people. That's a good way to start in a conversation about marriage, right? You adulterous people. But he's referring to their faith. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. But He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to the Lord, bless you, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So James is writing to the believers and he's saying, in your faith, the way that you are carrying out your Christian living, you are living as adulterers. Loving the things of the world. That even if they're not placing the things of the world ahead of God, they're putting them on equal level with God. And they have divided hearts. Their affections are torn between God and the things of this world. And James is saying that that kind of faith is adultery. And so, I really believe that in a similar vein, Paul is writing, addressing the heart issue of submission. He's not saying that you have to live under the rule and control and power of the husband. He's saying, submit your heart wholeheartedly to your husband. Don't place other things above him. Or don't love other things like you love your husband. Don't have a divided heart, but love wholeheartedly. I've known many people. For those of you that don't really know me that well, I, uh, I'm a little bit of an extrovert. My philosophy on life is there are two kinds of people. Strangers. No, friends and people I haven't met yet. That's my outlook on life. And in my travels, I've met many Many people, and many of these people, especially now that I'm in a stage of my life where I'm married myself and I'm, I'm leading my own family, that I've met other women and wives that have felt like their husbands 
were not meeting certain needs within their own marriage. And so they would look for romance in those you know, $5 trashy romance novels that you find in the grocery store. Or even a few years ago, the, the big craze was the, the Fifty Shades of Grey. And just looking for that excitement in places outside of their own marriage. Wishing that her husband would be more passionate or more exciting like these fictional characters within a book. I've seen wives that have said, I wish my husband were more like that leader or that CEO or that man over there. I wish that he would do things for me like he does for his wife. And things like that. Thoughts. Actions. Divided hearts like that build resentment and distrust within the marriage. That it's a wedge that drives the husband and the wife apart. And so wives, as I am dressing you in particular right now, how are you finding or longing or looking for satisfaction outside of the husband that God has given you? Not to heap guilt upon you, but because it is part of the fallen sinful nature of mankind to stray. And so wives, how has your heart been divided? And how have you looked for satisfaction outside of your husband? Now I recognize that this is not all one-sided. This is not just a sermon to the wives because husbands need to remember what comes next. And it's a bit heavier than the challenge to the wives because as the wife is called to submit like the church submits to Christ, the husband is called to love like Christ. Wives have a high calling to love wholeheartedly. But husbands are called to love in the same way that Christ loved the church. That God in the flesh is your standard for how to love your wife. We look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church or present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That Christ loved the church to present her. To, to, to sanctify her, to present her in splendor and glory without spot or blemish, that Christ loved the church to make her holy. Husbands, that's your standard. Your job is to take care of your wife, to make her more holy. That you are to love her sacrificially, to give yourself for her, for her good and her growth and her holiness. In 1 John, we see what John wrote to the church, and he says, By this we know love that he, being Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Husbands, you're called to die for your wives. 
not literally, uh, necessarily. You, you might go into some kind of uh, a mission field where y- your very lives may be threatened. But you are called to die to yourself, to die to your, to your, your selfish wants and needs and desires that you, as you are placed in authority over your family and over your marriage, that you lead willing to give yourself away. That you love sacrificially. That as Christ laid down His rights, that God in the flesh came to earth and submitted Himself to the point of death for the growth and good of the church. That was the way that Christ showed His love. That He took the blame and the punishment of the church. That He took the sins of the people upon Himself and His love. That He literally sacrificed Himself out of His love. So the church could receive salvation and righteousness and holiness. Husbands, that is your standard. And so, husbands, how are you willing to step up to the challenge? How are you willing to lay down your rights and your wants and your needs for your wife? What are the things that get in the way of you loving like Christ? Maybe, and I'm speaking out of my own experience here, maybe you don't always need to be right. Maybe you just need to be there, to be present with your wife and not have to be right in every situation. Maybe you come home from a long work or a long day at work and you're just, I'm done, I just want to check out, zone out. And in all honesty, husbands, maybe you just need to get up off the couch and help with the dishwasher or the dishes or put changing dirty diapers or I don't know what stage of life in particular, that you need to jump in and serve alongside your wife. But die to your own comforts and desires and love sacrificially. Get your hands dirty to show your wife you love her. Maybe, maybe you need to be willing to give up your own plans, your own agenda, and say, wife, out of my love for you, you need to rest. Take some time. Unplug. Don't need to be doing, but rest. Husbands, how do you need to sacrifice to show love and compassion to your wife? To build her up for her holiness. I don't know everyone in here. I don't know your marriages but I can give you this. Husbands, you are called to sacrificially love for her growth, for her good, for her nourishment, not just spiritually, but emotionally. To care for your wives, for her emotional and spiritual and physical well-being. Not out of your own strength, but because Christ 
has already accomplished it on your behalf. Not trying to earn God's favor and say, well, if I'm just a better husband, then that'll make me a better Christian. But out of the recognition that Jesus died and sacrificed Himself and gave righteousness and holiness to His bride, the church. And so out of the strength and holiness and righteousness that He has given, that you were called to extend that very same sacrificial love to your wife. Picking up in verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, that he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of His body. And husbands, this is kind of an added bonus, that as you care for your wife, you are literally caring for yourself. That you love your wife as you love yourself. Wives are called to love without divided hearts. But when you sacrificially love your wife, you're reducing, you're helping reduce that temptation for her heart to stray. Husbands, as you are sacrificially loving, you're helping her love you. Now, I'm not saying that she won't want to stray. I'm not saying that everything's going to magically be better. This sermon is not five steps to a happier marriage because that's not the way it works, and that's not what Scripture does. But when you sacrificially give of yourself for her good and her growth, it removes the temptation for her heart to find comfort outside of your marriage. When you love with everything that you have to the point of denying yourself for her good, it reduces that temptation So love your wife with everything that you have because you are taking care of yourself in that process. So husbands, what do you need to lay down to love your life, to love your wife well? And then Paul finishes this passage by addressing marriage itself. He he describes it as a mystery of union with God, explained through marriage. And he's describing how the church unites with Christ. Picking up in verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul is including a short quote from Genesis chapter 2, part of the creation story itself, that after Adam was created and he was tending to all the animals and the vegetation of the earth, that at the time, well, I'll just read from Genesis chapter 2. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So within the creation narrative itself, woman, Eve, was created specifically and intentionally for her husband, Adam. Now granted, shortly after this, everything went downhill really quickly, and their sons were killing each other. It goes bad really quick. But that does not deny the creation narrative itself is that they were made intentionally to be in relation with one another. And likewise, the church was not created just to wander about aimlessly. The church was created intentionally to be in relationship with Christ. As men and women are called to leave behind their former lives, their their parents, their former loves, and join together in one flesh, husband and wife. Christian, you are called to leave your former life, your former earthly loves, as you are united with Christ Himself. You were created to be in a holy relationship with Jesus. A relationship of love and compassion and devotion because He has loved you first. And as Solomon wrote in Song of Solomon, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. It's not a one-way relationship where you're begging and trying to do as many good things as you can, trying to earn the love of Jesus for yourself. But He has loved you and calls you to love Him back. That this Jesus was not just active in creation and redemption. He is the Redeemer and the Rescuer. And He looks at you and says, I am yours, and you are mine. And honestly, you will not fully understand this, this side of heaven. I have not completely figured this out. There's not a point in life where you say, I completely understand what Scripture has to say. But Scripture says you look at marriage. You look at the way that God has designed the husband and the wife, and you say that is how God loves me. And it's not easy because we're still broken and sinful people. But Scripture points to the redeeming love of Jesus and says that is the love of the bridegroom laying down His life for His beloved. And Scripture points to the church and says, church, submit yourself wholeheartedly without divided hearts to the One who loved you first. And so regardless of what your relationship status may be, Christians, you are called to love wholeheartedly as Christ sacrificed Himself on your behalf. And so as we finish this morning, 
I challenge you to examine the devotion of your own heart. Wives, are you looking for fulfillment in places other than the husband that God has given you? Or will you choose to submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ? Husbands, are you expecting your wife to meet your expectations and needs? Are you, will you lay down your rights, your very life, if you must, to love her the way that Christ has loved the church? And Christian, is your heart devoted to idols that do not fulfill and cannot love you back? Or will Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we come before You this morning with thankful hearts. We know that this relationship, these relationships that You have placed us in are not easy, but we are thankful, God, because our strength rests in the very fact that You loved us first. And so, God, I pray for these families that are in here. I pray for these marriages, for the, these, these children that are in here, that as they grow up and eventually seek out relationships of their own, that their, all of our relationships in here would be examples of the love that you have shown to your people. That you are a God of redemption and compassion. And that you have loved us. And so you look at your church and say, I am yours and you are mine. Give us the strength to lay down the things that get in the way of that devotion. Help, help our wives to love their husbands. Help the husbands to love their wives as we rest in the love that you showed first. And we pray this in the loving, compassionate, sacrificial name of Jesus Christ. Amen.